Warning, you are about to enter a world populated by the most appalling music ever made. Welcome to the search for the worst album of all time. This is Broken Records. But I hadn't been forgotten, I Joe. I'd been married a long time ago. Saint Bango. <laughs> a girl with kaleidoscope eyes. <laughs> You're beautiful. Hey, hey, I wanna be a rock star. Hello and welcome to Blobkin Blobcords, the uh, solo podcast from the Riot Act Network, where we search for the worst album ever made in history. And good lord, good lord, good lord, do we have a fucking weird show for you? My name is Stephen Hill. Nice to see you, Remfrey Blobby Blobby Blobby. <laughs> Oh, that is as my co-host Renfrey Deadman in blobby language. How are you, Renfrey? You all right? I'm, yeah, I'm really, really good. I've um, had a really fun few days going back to my childhood um, for the research for this week's episode. I think you've had a different experience for the research for this week's episode, yes. but we will get into that later. But I, I've mm. had a great time. So, hey. Excellent. How well, are I'm, you? Glad, I'm, I'm glad you have. Oh, this is a job, isn't it? <laughs> Um, isn't all albums insane? isn't that insane that we do this for a job it's fucking mad uh, all albums featured on this particular podcast are not compiled from uh, Renfrey and I's particular disgust at said record at least one of us anyway I think they are um, compiled from their reputation your suggestion you can suggest an album for us to put a few people have done that recently actually and I have mm. put a few more records into the hat uh, critical standing or fan reaction by the way we're um, we're actually we should we should say we haven't actually given our um, our social media handle out on Twitter if you want to go and find us on the Twitter we're at broken wreck pod so if you want to suggest an album for us to cover on the podcast then please please do but try and make it not quite as weird as this that is my only request although i'm sure you will um anyway we do have a lot of rankings already that we need to go through before we get into our album that we're going to be talking about this week which is mr blobby the album the debut album from mr blobby released in 1994 there is no official release date for the Mr. Blobby album, but it was released in 1994. Sadly, the only album as well. Don't forget, the debut and only. Yeah, they're like Handsome, aren't they? <laughs> only one album. Oh, Handsome did like a 20 albums, didn't they? I think they're on like album 11 or something, Handsome. Who? Handsome. handsome. Oh, Handsome. <laughs> handsome. I've, I've done that before. Yeah, cool. Everyone has. <laughs> Fucking unbelievable. It's a joke. Anyway, uh, here's the flop 20 as it stands at the moment. The 20 worst albums we have so far. For once, we have a contender to to top the chart. Unbelievable. Linkin Park, One More Light is number 20, followed by Super Collider by Megadeth. Chamber Music by Cold Chamber. Cool, that's a lot of crap 90s metal there, isn't it? All stuck together in one thing. Uh, The Truth Is by Theory of a Dead Man. Slick Dogs and Ponies by Louis XIV. Queen of Paul Rogers with the Cosmos Rocks, Richard Ashcroft's United Nations of Sound, the an original soundtrack to Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, Eogan Quig with Eogan Quig, self-titled, Six Feet Under's Graveyard Classics Volume 2, Towers of London's Blood, Sweat and Towers, Hard to Swallow by Vanilla Ice, Cut the Crap by The Clash, Angelic to the Core by Corey Feldman, Philosophy of the World by The Shags, Total Zanarchy by Little 
Zan, and they called him Little Ban, then Little Blob this week. Um, blood on the Dance Floor with Bad Blood, Methods of Mayhem with Methods of Mayhem, Concerto in True Minor by the True Symphonic Orchestra, Uncle Crackers Double Wide, and still there it is, of course. Our old mate's broken side. I'm not a fan, but the kids like it. It's still at number one. Will it be topped? Ooh, will it? Will it be topped? For once, feeling like there could be some kind of argument for it being topped. Mr. Blobby, the album, as I said, it is the one and only album from Mr. Blobby. Now, if you are over the age of about 24, or if you're not from the United Kingdom, there's a very good chance that you're going, what exactly are you two talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Because Mr. Blobby, uh, where on earth do we fucking start? With Mr. Blobby. Now, that's a rhetorical question, Renfrey, because I found where we're going to start with Mr. Blobby. And I guess with Mr. Blobby, we have to start with his best friend, his BFF, Mr. Noel Edmonds. Uh, Does that seem like a good place to start? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. So, Noel Edmonds, for those of you who aren't aware of his work, was kind of the king of primetime BBC One in the 80s and, and and the early 90s, having transitioned from a radio DJ in the mid to late 70s. He hosted Top of the Pops. But he became a huge success as the host of the Saturday morning kids TV show Swap Shop. Mm. Um, he also did Telly Addicts, which is a show that I very much liked back in the day. And for a little while, he did a show called Saturday, called Noel's Saturday Roadshow. Um, mm. We'll also talk about the, the the late, late breakfast show that he did uh, where he was disgraced and he left the BBC for a little bit. He did actually resign in 1986 after a contestant on the late, late breakfast show died from a bungee jump, um, a bungee jumping segment. Uh, but Noel soon came back and he did Noel's Saturday Roadshow. And he also as well famously did his Christmas TV specials, Noel's Christmas Presents, uh, which would be aired on Christmas Day where Noel would go around to those less fortunate than him, a.k.a everyone in britain um but also those less fortunate than you and i renfrey and giving them gifts uh like the lovely bearded uncle that he that he, that he is and was if i recall correctly noel's christmas presents customarily used to be shown at 10 minutes past three in the afternoon because it would be shown after the queen's speech so there was this kind of like hour and a half of telly i think the bbc kind of felt it's christmas day we're gonna have an hour and a half of heartwarming telly kind of thing i think that was kind of the approach behind it but that always seemed to be a thing that noel's christmas presence was on at 10 past three immediately after the queen's speech it became almost as regular a thing as the queen's speech for a short amount of time i, I suppose what we're trying to say is noel Edmonds was massive yeah i'm i'm a little bit older than you and i remember i think it was actually promoted to that slot because back ah. in the day in that in the 80s in the late 80s when it first sort of started going on um Noel's Christmas present was on like first thing in the morning. It was a lovely thing to wake up to, but it was so popular that it was actually update. It was actually upgraded to like legit following the Queen big thing. And like you say, Renfrey, I mean, I was going to say how big Noel Edmonds right was was big right. It was a big deal. I'd say in the nineties he was borderline in the UK like superstar status. I mean, he was very famous. He was often. Um, the press would often have a go at him a lot. I think in the main, probably more often unfairly than fairly. 
really. Um, and unfortunately, in the UK, that's often the sign that you're fucking massive, isn't it? When the press have a go at you unfairly and try to pick you apart and do anything, blah, blah, blah. There's lots of talk I remember reading in the red tops about the old Edmonds has a helicopter ban this sick filth shit <laughs> stuff that was that pathetic but yeah he he got a lot of flack for being famous um but um but he was yeah i mean noel's house party for me and i imagine it'd be quite different for you but for me it was sort of essential saturday night family viewing like we would sit down around the tv <laughs> around 6 p.m every saturday night mm. and noel's house party you know, at that time, bearing in mind it started when I was around seven, eight years old, it felt like anarchic, I'm, I'll stop short of saying revolutionary TV, but it felt anarchic and wacky and, you know, like it, it, it was the Strictly Come Dancing of its day, but rather than being like, it was bigger than Strictly because... There were only four channels, four channels. at the time. Yeah. And, you know, viewer, audience... I don't know what Strictly gets these days. I know the numbers are very high for Strictly. But, you know, Noel's House Party, like 20 million viewers. It was. It would be like a third of the country are watching Noel's House Party. Sh- insane statistics like that. Like, mad stuff. Yeah. Mad stuff. Uh, you've you've dropped you've dropped out of um you, you've not bothered to mention when you say it was a, a helicopter the the fact that he he was the man who ferried everyone to Live Aid in his helicopter did you know that well there we go I, I mean I didn't actually <laughs> but there you go I mean that's an example because I remember reading a story about which was just a negative helicopter Noel Edmonds story and if that's the truth of it or if that's one of the things he did it's like. Well, how can you make that negative? But that's kind of what the press were doing a lot around. Well, them. I'll tell you how. It was because there was a game of cricket going on right by Wembley Stadium. Oh. And Noel kept landing on. They had to keep <laughs> pulling the cricket stumps out so they could land. So they could be like, look, Bono's on in. You know, we've got Roger Daltrey in this helicopter and he's on in 15 minutes. Dire Straits are here. We've got to run them over to Wembley Stadium. Noel's giving them a lift from wherever they were all fucking hanging out. And yeah, Noel Edmonds gave everyone a lift. And people were like, oh, no, no, you can't land here. There's a cricket game going on. And it's like, well. Well, it'd be funny. Paul McCartney's in this. <laughs> He's on stage in 15 minutes. You're saying he gave these musical superstars a lift to one of the biggest charity concerts of all time. I imagine free of charge. I doubt he was uh, charging Live Aid for it. And uh, effectively, he's getting shit for being a fairy to the stars for a charity event. Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't, yeah. mate, mate, if you know anything about this country, you don't fuck with cricket. Well, yeah, no, that's true, actually. Yeah. Don't fight with cricket. Um, but no, no, I'm obviously being facetious. That was obviously the 80s as well. That was 1985. Was that the 80s? So, yeah, yeah that was, was the 80s. So it was, uh, yeah. no. Anyway, um, but yes, you're right. The height of his... Po- I think it was the height of his popularity. Yeah, I'd say so. He lo- he launched Noel's House Party. This is 1991. This, yeah, it um, did feel like the apex, didn't it? I'd say it was yes. the height of his popularity. Yeah, this is when Noel Edmonds becomes legit... The guy, because there was a whole bunch of them. There's Tony Blackburn, who we'll talk about in a little bit. There's uh, Dave Lee Travis was there as I was there. There's all the kind of, all of the, um, you know, I suppose even people who weren't ex-Radio 1 DJs like uh, Matthew Kelly, Gary Wilmot, um, those kind of presenters. I mean, it was Noel Edmonds became like the new Bruce Forsyth 
for yeah. a little bit, didn't he? Yeah. And yes, good, like you say, um, it was that's a pretty good descriptor. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And you know, he's bigger than Chris Tarrant at that time as well. Like he was, he was the fucking, he was the main man. Um, Noel's house party, for those of you that don't remember, is where Noel would invite you uh, into his mansion in the fictional town of Crinkly Bottom. Hilarious and lots of. <laughs> and lots of shenanigans would happen every week, um, including people getting gunged quite a lot. Mm. Gunging was a, do we need to do we need to explain gunging? I feel I like don't, I have no idea. Maybe we do. I don't know. I think it happened on Nickelodeon quite a lot for our uh, transatlantic listeners. I'm yeah. sure wherever you're listening, I'm sure there is a version of yeah. sitting someone in a glass tank and dropping loads of technicolored nasty gloop gloop all over their heads. Yeah, but really, as a simple that as was. That. Yeah, that was a thing on Noel's house party. There's also that thing they used to do, uh, where they would plant a camera in someone's living room. Yes, they used to call it NTV. It's yeah. called NTV Noel's TV. Yes, yes. <laughs> like the sheer arrogance <laughs> of the guy. <laughs> but, <laughs> but people would be watching Noel's house party, and their reaction would be. So I do remember watching this. I mean, I think when you say it was anarchic. Um, yeah, I guess this is kind of the it's light entertainment, but with a slight nineties um, with everything that happened in from kind of ninety one beyond. Um, I mean, I'm not going to give Nirvana the credit for literally everything, but <laughs> the kind of <laughs> once Nevermind came out, Noel Noel Edmonds really decided to change his aesthetic, didn't he? But um, but there was something about the nineties, whether it be you know the kind of grunge happening or rap happening in music or even within alternative comedy you know which was starting to gather pace at that point this is not that far away from i think only about a year a year and a bit away from newman and Badil or the and like the mary whitehouse experience so newman and Badil being the first people to headline an arena um as comedians uh when they did wembley you've got you know the people like jack d and i guess the young ones have been out a while but by the time you get like rick mel and adrian Oberson becoming huge huge stars around this time well that turned um, into bottom hadn't it at this time which turned into bottom yeah i think i think i'm not sure if bottom had actually started by 91 Ooh, uh no not sure but it was certainly around that time i think it's i'm gonna to do a really do really a quick, quick... Oh yes, yeah, September 1991. So it started a couple okay. of months after Noel's house party. What what a glorious time for television that was. Um, well, it was a very important shift in television. I think that's it was yeah. Um, and I think um, you know Noel Edmonds started out in children's TV, and I think he had a, a you know to give him his credit, I think he had a large part in making that anarchic children's television thing i mean i'm speaking primarily to our british listeners now but when i talk about stuff like the saturday swap shop and going live and live and kicking that style well, of anarchic tis was, was the tis, first tis one was, of that of i just want to give want to give tis was a sort of shout out of course tis that's was. chris tarrant that was an itv but yeah, yeah there was plenty of that stuff going on but yes i think like saturday saturday superstore was more of a and you know swap shop was more of a kind of like bbc affide version yes of it. yeah no you're probably right did did he appear on tis was or am i mixing up my programs uh, you are because that I was uh, okay. itv okay okay yeah. but um but i mean I, I even if he wasn't the the originator he certainly helped like that was a style of his television programs and i think to be fair the thing that noah house party did was bring that anarchic format from children's tv to something that the whole family could watch and and enjoy in theory which might have been the first time that happened i don't know 
Yeah, I mean, even when you think of like, I suppose at this point, something like Vic and Bob's Big Night Out had been happening on Channel 4. And, you you know, like, I'm not saying that Noel's House Party and Vic and Bob's Big Night Out share much in the way of DNA. But certainly you would imagine like the popularity of, of, of kind of youth and um, the more kind of alternative teenager thing that was happening. I would have thought we'd at least have paid a little bit of attention to it. And that, I guess kind of manifest itself in what became i would say probably the most infamous feature on noel's house party the gotcha oscar mm. uh, which is essentially beatles about in it yes absolutely so Be- although you have again to, you have to describe what beatles about <laughs> have to describe well. so jeremy beadle was i can't believe we got to the point where like, it's bad enough that we have to describe to people from outside of this country who fucking mr blobby and noel edmonds is the fact that i'm now going to describe you know, like bottom and tis was and now fucking jeremy beadle this is the ma- this is the maddest podcast i've ever had to do right so jeremy beadle was a man uh who was like another sort of he was like an itv version he was sort of like a uh, their version of Noel Edmonds a little bit. Yeah, he was just a fair. bloke. Yeah. Had a beard, didn't he? He had a yes. beard, just like Noel Edmonds. He did wacky shit like yep. Noel Edmonds. And yep. um, he had a show where he would uh, just kind of prank the public. So someone would come home and there'd be <laughs> like a, a load of manure on their front lawn and they'd go mad and they'd complain about it and then they'd film all it and they'd get the person in the studio and they'd get their reaction. And then in the end, someone from the council would come along and as he was moaning and groaning, the person from the council would take their hat and glasses off and it would be Jeremy Beadle and it would be like, oh, it was all a big prank after all. And Noel Edmonds decided to steal that idea, essentially, but mm. do it with celebrities. Yeah. Which is it's just genius, a terrible in idea. genius in its simplicity. Yeah, yeah, it is. Mm. Um, now, uh, the first few of those were just, you know, various little gotcha things where they'd set up something but um mr blobby first appeared on the show in 1992 as part of the gotcha oscar um the year that changed thing. my life <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah um his creator was a gentleman uh, named michael lego who was a director on the show um who described the segment as what he wanted it to be as more like a kind of best man speech like ribbing but not cruel um there's a really good article on vice like thank god uh, about mr blobby called a lovable anarchist and it is sort of charting the uh the ever the, the birth the evolution and um the sort of dissolution of the mr blobby phenomenon and um this is a piece from it talking about the creation of mr blobby uh armed with a piece of a5 line paper and a mauve felt tip pen lego set to work on creating a character i did this stupid sketch it was a pear-shaped thing with a rough position of the eyes and the proportion of the legs i said to the costume designer can you make something like that up the yellow dots weren't his idea those came later but why mr blobby the word blobby is just part of my family's shorthand for something a bit shapeless he says he could never have predicted that his sketch would be the start of a character who would run and run and very often fall over so mr (laughs) blobby initially started as a sort of fake legit tv character celebrities would be asked to appear on the mr blobby tv show and shit would go horribly wrong um i've actually gone back and watched a few of these uh so there's a little bit of evidence on it on youtube if you would like to see it uh there's a football one with garth crooks 
where Mr. Blobby just keeps falling over and knocking the goal over and getting footballs kicked against his head and Garth Crooks just sort of laughs at him. Not yeah. really sure if that is great. like getting someone. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, just think like, I got you. I got you. You laughed at a man falling over. Is that it? Is that like the extent of like, oh, he's been so pranked here. He's gone on the TV show and watched some fucking idiot fall over again and again and again. Well, my favourite one, and weirdly, I didn't. I wasn't like you, Renfrey. I didn't watch Noel's House Party all the time, but I did watch it one week, and I remember watching the rugby one with Will Carlin, yeah. and I remember thinking, "That's what I'd do if I was if I was Will Carlin. I was Will Carlin. <laughs> Will Carlin does not take being on Mr. Blobby's show very well because obviously they they go like cut and they show you the they carry on filming when they say cut and stuff." Will Carlin calls him a cunt, stabs him <laughs> his foot, punches him, pushes him, tells him to shut up, says fuck off, gets really annoyed with the whole thing, and yeah. just does not want to participate in the absurdity of it all. Um, and then Mr. Bobby kind of kicks him back. It's a pretty funny idea. Yeah, a bloke so deep, deeply ingrained in this absurd character that he fucking fucks everything up and winds up a celebrity. Now... I remember it's watching it Mr. Bean, isn't it? Yeah. Like a fatter, yeah, yeah. pink, uh, yellow-spotted version. Now, I like the Will Kylan one because I always thought Mr. Blobby was an annoying prick and I like the fact that somebody was like, yeah, I'd kick that bloke if I was stuck in a room with him and he kept fucking falling over um, rather than just laugh at him like Garth Crooks does. But Renfrey, I know from our private conversations that you are a fan of this kind of thing. <laughs> so people are going to think that I'm joking when I say this, but Mr. Blobby was essentially my introduction to the like slapstick. And, like, you know, if you consider the age that I was, I mean, did you say he debuted at 92? I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if mm-hmm. I saw, you know, one of the first episodes or maybe even the first episode. I was seven years old. This was, uh, Mr. Blobby was absolutely, I was absolutely the target market for Mr. Blobby, you know, and I found it fucking hilarious. And so, therefore, when I went down a bit of a YouTube rabbit hole a couple of days ago, and started watching classic sketches like Mr. Blobby's Blind Date. <laughs> classic sketches! <laughs> D- well, I've got to get through this bit straight face. DIY with Mr. Blobby, Mr. Blobby the Traffic Warden, Mr. Blobby Goes Fishing. Mm. When I saw these classic sketches all over again on YouTube that have entered the lexicon of British television comedy as we know it and uh, were such milestones for Ricky Gervais when he came to writing The Office. <laughs> 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 Uh, um, certainly watching them on youtube gave me a very warm glowy nostalgia and yeah the seven-year-old and me came right to the surface and i thought they were fucking hilarious even though it is essentially a guy in a rubber suit falling over and saying blobby 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 all the time but you know hey i was seven years old like i i i think that's a i think being seven years old when this came into my life is actually a perfectly decent defense because Mm. because that is clearly like listening to this album certainly which we'll get on to it feels like the target market um (laughs) for the album certainly but yes, yeah. I bought Blobby merchandise. I had a Mr. Blobby beach towel, which I was super, super proud of. I think I might have had a Mr. Blobby... <laughs> the face Steve is pulling right now. I knew we should have recorded this one on video. Uh, the face you're pulling right now. Um, 
had a Mr. Blobby lunchbox, which I'm pretty sure I got teased about. <laughs> and oh. Oh, he's, gone, he's gone bright. You've gone Mr. Blobby's colour, Steve. And on, t- <laughs> on top of that... A fucking lunchbox! You fucking nerd! Even at seven! Oh. Oh. I, was, I was probably eight or nine by that point. <laughs> And I also, as I told Steve earlier today, I also had on VHS cassette tape Blobby Vision, which was a 70-minute cassette, 10 10 minutes longer than this album, which, let's get it out of the way, is too long. Uh, (laughs) um, (laughs) Well, we'll talk about what we could cut out later on. It would be quite difficult. To find what, what, what you can't have this very, very, very dense concept album that we're about to talk about. Let me just explain what Blobby Vision was quickly. Blobby Vision was effectively um, pastiches of a bunch of um, 90s TV shows from the day. So instead of the bill, they called it the blob. <laughs> Which is already a film. It doesn't work. <laughs> Actually, that was kind of the genius of Mr. Blobby. So much of it didn't work. And then you were laughing at the ineptitude of them putting it together. But, you know, I think that was meta and obviously done on purpose. I don't yeah. think that. Um, but yes, mm-hmm. uh, Blobby Vision. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it wasn't like my favourite VHS ever or anything. But, you know, I bought it and I owned it and I enjoyed it muchly. And I probably watched it half a dozen times. <laughs> There you go. So, so yes, I suppose, yes, I was a fan of Mr. Blobby. I, I admit it. Right. Now, look, I was 13 when Mr. Blobby hit, so I was quite different. I was starting to get into, like, angry, angsty, puberty-ridden teenager at this point. And, you know, I wasn't completely immune to the silliness of the world. I cried when Nels beat up the big boss man. Um oh, yeah. Yeah, I got really upset. I was like, Leo the boss man, oh God. Uh, I was very upset when Shawn Michaels beat the British Bulldog for the Intercontinental Championship <laughs> and took it away from him. That upset me as well. Um, WWE or WWE. It's WWE, uh, as, yeah. As it was called at the time for those who, yeah. Yeah, I um, slept on the floor of my mum's bedroom after I watched Ghost Watch with ah, Sarah yes. Green. <laughs> Which has come up on this podcast before, I believe. Either this or right. Yeah. I can't remember for, why, but it has come up yeah. on the show before. For, for, for about two months as well. Because <laughs> I was really, really scared by Ghostwatch. Terrified, in fact. Of, now I've mentioned it, unfortunately, what's going to happen is this happens to me about pretty much every year um, since about 2007. I've got Ghostwatch in my head. And then I've gone, oh my God, Ghostwatch. And then I've gone and Googled it and I found loads and I've gone down a route and I've gone and looked for it on YouTube and I've watched it and I've gone, this isn't scary at all. Mm. But yeah, I've still got really scared mm. because that won't go away. Well, so look, I'm not saying I was It's like perfect... me watching old Mr. Blobby clips and going, this isn't funny at all, but actually laughing my tits off in reality. So there you go. Mm. Mm. But I found Mr. Blobby really really fucking annoying i didn't like noel's house party i didn't like any of that shit i was like no 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 more more of a you bet man (laughs) i'm sure if noel's house party and mr blobby had come into my life at the ripe old age of 13 i'm sure i would have felt exactly the same way just think fucking gladiators was on the other side yeah i'm watching noel's house but i'm watching fucking gladiators mate I think because I, I loved both and I watched both, so I must have watched well, one they, and then taped the other. 
Guess or they were on at different. They were probably on at different times. I think Gladiator was on quite early. I seem to recall. Uh, no, his house party started around six, seven kind of time. Did I think I thought seven. Well, I think that because I used to get home from. So I'd go to football on a Saturday with my dad, get home, watch Gladiators. Mm. And then I think you'd switch over and Noel's House Party would be on, but I never tended right. to watch it. Maybe you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember. I, d- I did. I definitely watched both religiously. I can tell you that much. Anyway, anyway, wh- whatever the case, it was a, it was a better time. Um, <laughs> let's, just- <laughs> let's get that in there. Let's just get that out of the way, right? It was better than whatever you fucking kids are doing on TikTok now. <laughs> this was better. Uh, now, but as I say, the sketches on reflection right the sketches that i watched it's kind of a good idea a fake children's <laughs> tv show it's pre ali g do you know what i mean yeah. it's pre it's pre borat yeah um it's pre dennis penis yeah so you know getting celebrity tricking celebrities into thinking that they're doing something that they're not really doing it's pre <laughs> rio ferdinand's like mercs or whatever it's called before the 2006 world cup which i'll tell you what i'll take mr blobby over that shit every any any fucking day of the week it, um, if chris morris presented it as an idea i.e we're gonna get this fake you know kids mascot person and try and trick celebrities into buying it you would be interested you know chris morris's yeah, execution would be very different i would imagine I so. <laughs> <laughs> but like the idea itself is is actually in many ways very ahead of its time and is actually mm. quite funny it's quite funny. It is quite funny. And let's just think, right, if they'd have left it at that, mm. happy days. Yes. Happy days. Yes. Um, I suppose a pe- modern phenomenon we could put this with is like the Minions in the Despicable Movies, me movies, were funny. But then when you make them their own thing, that's when people can start to get annoyed by it. That would be like a similar sort of, uh, similar comparison point to something a bit more or like uh james corden in gavin and stacy when you sort of go like oh you're not totally making me want to set fire to my entire livelihood you're in a fucking cut cut my head off and then you see him any other time yes and you just think i'd like to machine gun down a fucking a and e unit of a children's hospital (laughs) because you are such a fucking cunt that makes me hate humanity anyway fantastic example yes i'd agree yeah thank you um anyway um so this is the problem people loved those mr blobby segments when he would turn up and they prank the person guilty um, but then he started then he started turning up on the show as a regular he did. thing he whatever did. he was doing and i think this falling is where, over shit basically this falling over this is where the cult of Mr. Blobby, I think, starts to get quite weird and yeah. quite over the top. Um, Paul Pascoe, who is Noel Edmonds' business partner, Unique, said um, that Noel Edmonds said to him, Blobby's going to be huge. And when he asked why, Noel Edmonds said, we get three post bags of mail each week and 70 to 80% of the post bag is to do with Mr. Blobby. Now, before we go any further, I think we should give a little shout out to the person who actually played Mr. Blobby because Mr. Blobby isn't a real person by the way i hate to like break this to you listener if you are familiar with mr blobby and you're like oh yeah mr blobby he's actually not actually not a real person he's a fictional character yeah, uh, he's a gentleman um by the name of barry killaby who was and as renfrey said to me on the phone earlier your quote to me was this is one of the saddest sentences you will ever read barry killaby is a shakespearean trained actor 
um, who starred in a play about the life of Harry Houdini just before we went into lockdown, which, I mean, I guess we've all got to do things to pay the bills, haven't we? I mean, I write about metalcore. He just up in a pink suit with yellow dots on and falls over in front of Eamon Holmes. I mean, I'll let you decide which one of those two things is more degrading, uh, frankly. I think it's a toss of a coin. <laughs> and also just to say, I mean... I think Barry Killaby, I'm sure, like, I think he has a career in theatre, which is very successful, and he does very, very well. It's just the idea of this classically trained Shakespearean actor, his most famous role on television, certainly, being Mr. Blobby. That is just funny to me. Yeah, it's, it's, um, (laughs) I don't know, it's kind of tragic and beautiful at the same time, isn't it? At least they got someone good to do it, do you know what I mean? I just, all like, all the monologues and sonnets you have to learn and like, I earn Act 5, Scene 3, King Lear monologue and now I'm falling about in a pink and yellow spotted suit. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's just, it's just funny. But hey, there's a million acting careers like that, so, you know. Yeah, as Mr. Blobby began um, to become something of a fan favourite on the show, just turning up at the door and falling over it or through it and acting the cunt, it was decided that they would do what they do with anything that becomes oddly and insanely popular. Um, or would you turn it into a gross money-making exercise? Yeah. Uh, the videos that you've mentioned, the merchandise you've mentioned, the toys, and of course, the music career. This is a little bit from the Vice article again. It says, soon Blobby Mania began to take a life, take on a life outside of Noel's house party. It started with merchandise, pasta shapes. <laughs> I do remember those. I remember the pasta shapes, they were great. <laughs> Lunch boxes. <laughs> oh, yeah, remember? Already covered them. Teapots, ties. I mean, how fucking much would you bully someone wearing a Mr. Blobby tie? Mugs. Yeah, fair enough. Bubble bath. Knitting patterns, <laughs> lampshade, cans of lemonade. I remember that. The cans yes. of pink blobby pink lemonade. Lemonades, yes. It wasn't very nice. It wasn't great. It wasn't very nice. But it I wasn't fell for it and bought it all the same. I uh, did you really? Yes, yeah, I, I would did. have squeezed that and poured it over your head like the big bully that I was. Um back in those days. And oh, I look, would have cried into a- my blobby lunchbox. There's a little eight-year-old kid with a Mr. Blobby lunchbox drinking blobby pink lemonade. Here comes angry, <laughs> pubescent 13-year-old Stephen Hill <laughs> to push him down a hill <laughs> and pour pink lemonade on his head. How different we would have been, Renfrey. Oh, how different. We've discussed many times on this show what our relationship would have been like uh, if we had met 20 years ago or, 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 well, actually, in this case, more like um, 30, nearing 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. And every single time we come to the conclusion that you would have bullied the shit out of me. Uh, so... <laughs> so Great. Which always makes me feel super special. <laughs> Every time. Every time. Mm. Every time. I mean, I just can't I just can't deny that that's what would have happened. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, according to Pasco, research from the 90s showed that at the time, almost every household in the country had at least one piece of bob- blobby merchandise. I'm, like, wow. I'm glad he said almost, because my house definitely didn't. Um, that, I... Oh. That's one of the. I mean, I'm sure they sold enough for that statistic to be true, but I can't imagine that is actually a true. Do you know what I mean? So I'm sure numbers yeah. wise, that is the case. But but mm. you know, mm. I, I mean, I had 16 pieces of bloody merchandise alone. So you know, you had my household's uh, <laughs> allowance. <as> well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, 
Uh, continue. Would Mr. Boyd be interested in doing a single? A single? A single. Uh, Lego said yes on one condition. I rather grandly said we'd only consider doing a single with Mr. Blobby if it's going to be Christmas number one. He said you're on. The song called Mr. Blobby was released on in November 1993 and is generally agreed to be one of the worst songs ever recorded. But at the time with Blobby Mania sweeping the nation, it was a hit. Two weeks before Christmas, the song was number one. Then take that, knocked it off the top spot with Babe. In a final final plot twist, Mr. Blobby re-entered number one, ruining Gary Barlow's Christmas in the process. So yes, the song was released on the 22nd of November. It knocked Meatloaf's I Would Do Anything For Love, but I won't do that off the top of the charts. Mm. That must have been quite the Sophie's Choice for you at the time, <laughs> Renfrey. <laughs> Feels like a Sophie's <laughs> Choice now, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, the, the success of the single is insane, isn't it? Properly insane. insane. Unbelievable. To get a weird little song to number one, knocking off... Meatloaf, massive. Like, that song would be number one for massive, so yeah. fucking long. Yeah. And it was so massive. And yeah. then to lock that off the top of the charts is one thing. But then take that. As well. Undoubtedly, the biggest boy band, the biggest artist, the biggest pop group in the country right before Christmas, them knocking it off the top of the charts, you would think, well, that's that done then. That's that done. But for it to knock them off the top of the charts as well is frightening. And it gives us, I think, surely, what even with the X Factor and all the many crimes it has committed over the years, got to be the worst Christmas number one single of all time. Opening the door for fucking Bob the Builder seven years later. Ah, I mean... I'm trying to think Christ. of a, I'm trying to think of a more modern equivalent. It'd be like if Stormzy and Adele were fighting out for number one, and then Paw Patrol nicked them both to the post at the mm. end. You know, like would that? Do you think that's a decent enough contemporary equivalent? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's I guess so. Yeah, mad. It was absolutely mad. I mean, I guess Paw Patrol isn't the sensation that Noel's House Party and Mr. Blobby was, but you know, like it, it is fucking crazy. Like an absolutely. <laughs> it's also i mean it's, it's become most famous for being part of our broken record sting now of course uh it's mm. probably the most thing is the song's most i famous. think it is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yes so uh, many of you listening unless you skip the sting at the beginning of the show which i you know i wouldn't be surprised if you did because that's annoying isn't it? it's really fucking annoying it kind of was that was sort of the aim of the thing, to be fair, because we are looking for the worst record of all time. But, uh, but you know, I wouldn't unless you skip it all the time. You'll probably be very, very familiar with the chorus. Do you want to talk about that song now, or do you want to go into that later? Well, I think I'll say a few things about it now, and then okay. we will go into the song properly later. We'll talk about okay. the music video and everything. But I remember I have an incredibly vivid memory because even though I didn't like take that in the same way as I like take that now, I actually think take that put out far better music in the mm. aftermath of their reformation than they did um, initially although i do quite like some of the early take that stuff as well i'm actually going to see gary barlow this week aren't I? yeah 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 yeah, well, yeah yeah so so f- fuck you all um i don't know why i said fuck you all to that like, who's no. aged better mr blobby or gary barlow <laughs> i think mr Bo- blobby has at least paid his taxes <laughs> well yes quite uh i was the less said about the better uh anyway um so I, I went to the overton memorial institute the stute the kind of working men's club down the road from me where i'm sitting in this house right now there's a little kind of club and uh i didn't get to go there very much unless it was a kind of special occasion and there was a disco on new year's eve 
1993 that me and my friends went to and it was the last i think it's the last or second to last one that i went to as young but it was you know i get to stay out till midnight seeing new year and stuff super exciting and i remember the dj after midnight right when you're all like old lang syne he dropped mr blobby (laughs) as the first song of 1994 (laughs) after old lang syne and i even then which has turned out to be your favorite year of all time more or less let's not forget (laughs) yeah what a way to start you think like the downward spiral (laughs) the holy bible super unknown far beyond driven park life like all the stuff that came out in 1994 that i look back on what an absolutely unbelievable year that was (laughs) fucking (laughs) fucking uh, do you know what i mean like ill communication it's a fucking mad shit that came out in 1994 (laughs) the first song i heard that year was mr blobby it was and i remember being like oh let's just go home (laughs) even at like even at fucking 13 i was like oh let's go let's just go home now this is ridiculous and it just put and i just remember everybody just standing there do you know i mean a lot of adults like at midnight and a few kids like just still going you know you've ruined this year already like in our little village our little fucking village uh so anyway so i remember that i also uh, i watched the music video for this song which spoofs um snaps rhythm is a dancer uh robert palmer's addicted to love shakespeare sisters stay actually using actual footage from the actual shakespeare sisters stay video the cheeky bastards i can't dance by genesis um zz tops sharp dressed man it's got noel edmonds in it as well plus a lot of other celebrities from the time turning up like uh carol vorderman um sarah cox and uh, Jeremy Clarkson is in it. And most uh, importantly, I think, Will Carlin coming back for more. Just to show there were no hard feelings. Will Carlin is in the, <laughs> he's in the Mr. Blobby video. Um, I don't think I've seen the video since um, since the don't, time. Don't, actually, don't, don't give me that shit. <laughs> it's not my wallpaper or anything like that. It doesn't play every single time I turn on my computer. Uh, <laughs> don't give me that shit. <laughs> fucking hell well i've heard the song obviously but i don't think i've watched it with the accompanying music oh yeah yeah you just you just want to you just want to uh you just want to listen to the song and you don't want to be you don't want the visuals to impair your feeling towards the song do you (laughs) listen to the song because it's part of the theme of this show and it was my job for this week to listen to the song as part of this album um Mm, but uh yeah yeah. it's it's really weird when you hear because i listen to it every week because i'm editing the show and putting the putting the sting in with the and because you like it as well yeah because i think it's <laughs> fucking amazing um but when you're like you, oh i'm gonna turn ilmatic off cool that was <laughs> average get mr blobby back on <laughs> but um but hearing it within the context of this of the album itself really knocks me Shane six <laughs> i was <laughs> like fucking hell what the shit is this it was weird mm-hmm. yeah strange Anyway, um, the song yeah. went on to sell 600,000 copies. Platinum in the United Kingdom. Platinum. 600,000 people bought that single. <laughs> 600,000 people. I mean, that... Uh, uh, <laughs> Where do you even start with that? I don't even... I, like... 600,000 people probably haven't listened to Palm Reader. <laughs> you know, oh, not even... 600,000? <laughs> yeah. Mate, I reckon you'd be, they'd be struggling to top 100,000, I reckon. <laughs> 
I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, not to pick Palm. I was just picking it at random. Sorry, Palm Reader. It wasn't a diss. Although, uh, Mr. Bobby's obviously better than any sleepless or anything. Um, I mean, yeah, I see over half a million people. Um, I mean, it just goes to show that, like, not only was Noel's house party and Mr. Bobby just an immense sensation, but people were prepared to, I mean, to, to be fair, a CD single back then is probably one ninety nine or something, but they were prepared to pay money and have this thing in their house and own it and treasure it. You know? Imagine buying this on tape. Fucking, is yeah. anything sad? So I think sadder than spending ninety nine pence <laughs> on Mister Blobby on tape cassette single. Well, it's got to be the saddest purchase anyone could ever make. But at this time, a lot of those sales would have been taped. I know, fucking loads know. of them. I, I mean, I don't think it'd be probably over half of them at this time because there was still a perception that cds were like top of the range quality yada 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 vinyl was gone right the vinyl Vinyl was was gone long gone 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 but um but cds like were still fucking expensive at that point it felt really expensive so it wouldn't be out of the realm 299 i mean yeah to get it back to christmas could get it back because it would have been one ninety nine on the week of release. I reckon you're looking at two, three ninety nine on CD <laughs> single for this. <laughs> you mad fucks, you fucking mad cunts, you are bunch of fucking off your tits on what I don't even know what. You mad actual mad fucks. I've got it up here. I've got the track listing. So Mr Blobby, Mr Blobby's theme, Mr Blobby instrumental mix, and Mr Blobby. Blobby, blobby, blobby. That was the track listing <laughs> for the CD single. Three ninety nine. Fucking mad cunts. People sometimes go, oh, Britain's shit now, isn't it? Oh, it's, got, it's, got, it's, like, it's always been, look at this! 600,000! The state of them! <laughs> and you put that into context, right? It reached the only other country on the planet which came even vaguely close to tolerating this fucking shit. <laughs> Was Australia where this single reached number one hundred and sixty nine? <laughs> Australia, the only other country on the in the world that almost How? sort of a few people went. Uh, what's this? Uh, quite is that? Uh, maybe uh, not really. That's really. And odd. we sold six hundred fucking thousand copies of it. Do you think there were like satellite transmissions of BBC's Noel's off. House Party on some tiny cable channel in Australia or something? Probably. You know? Yeah, probably. I no idea. No I mean, idea. Noel did have a go at cracking America before. He um, did. He did. He did. He had a, a show in 1986 called The Noel Edmonds Show uh, on the ABC network, um, which just went for a week and then it went away. Really? Was it like every day? Was it on like. Monday yeah yeah it was it, mm. it was it was one of the um you know the kind of late night talk show-esque yeah, things yeah, yeah, which yeah, you don't yeah, yeah. It, i don't think strong, strike me as noel edmund's strong suit anyway we're getting no, off topic here a little no, bit yeah, yeah. um yeah, we were like, what is noel edmund's actually good at <laughs> who knows but anyway <laughs> well, as right. we enter into 1994 with mr blobby ringing in my fucking ears <laughs> um at some point at some point the record comes out we don't actually know when no. We don't know what's going on, but at some point the record comes out. So let's have a look at some reviews. Now, bizarrely, Renfrey, you'll be shocked and stunned to learn this, but there are no reviews that I can find for the record from the time, funnily enough. Um, but the song, the song itself, Mr. Blobby, 
has been written about a fair bit. In 2016, MTV said, in the olden days, before Deal or No Deal, Noel Edmonds presented his house party on BBC One and was one of the most popular beardies in the UK. But it was his sidekick that tried to kill music. The pink and yellow polka dot marshmallow of doom managed to get to number one in the charts with what might be the worst song of all time, a child choir singing the praises of this goggle-eyed idiot with his own warped voice interspersed throughout Ugh. Uh, the Telegraph ranked it as the worst Christmas song ever in 2014, saying that it set the bar so low with this bizarre single, it's hard to imagine, imagine that it could ever be usurped. In 1999, the Daily Record in Scotland named it the third worst single of all time. In 2002, HMV did a poll of the worst festive songs of all time. It ranked at number one. It came sixth. Uh, in the Channel 4 look at the worst songs ever made in 2006. And in 2016, the only this is not the song, it's the album, the only thing I can find on the album, um, Ziffit.com ran a poll looking for the worst album of all time. And this came in at number one, beating Justin Bieber at number two, which feels a little bit harsh on Justin Bieber, I'm not going to lie. But, unbelievably, Renfrey, it's not all bad. It's not all bad for Mr. Blobby in terms of reviews. Because fuck what the critics have to say, right? It's all about what the people have to say. And Mr. Blobby on Amazon.com, Mr. Blobby the Album, has a score from six reviews of five out of five. All six reviews have given this album full marks. And I will read some of those reviews for you now. The desperation of this podcast to go to Amazon customer reviews. But fair play, man. Carry on. (laughs) Splenfan in 2007 called it one of the heaviest records of all time. It says uncompromisingly brutal this Noel Edmonds masterminded project takes a grindcore genre to new extremes straight off the bat you know you're in for something truly special as old McBlobby had a farm threatens to obliterate the speakers with its visceral maelstrom of riffs and machine gun drum patterns Ten Pink Blobbles combines face-shredding riffs with the sort of double bass drumming that makes your insides feel like they're about to prolapse. Industrial elements are introduced for the epic clockwork, which is actually true. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> In which Bob- Blobby uses his guttural vocal delivery to its full potential to explore themes of ultraviolence. The album closer, Lullaby, is in the musically ironically titled Spaz Out, in which Blobby bemoans the lack of time spent with Edmunds following the recent success of Deal or No Deal. If I were the banker, I'd be cacking myself. Overall, this is an absolutely unmissable album and destined to be an extreme classic for decades to come. So there's one review. In 2013, a reviewer called JBS said the record was more culturally significant than the death of Kurt Cobain. Uh... Much has been written about the uncompromising brutality of this album. Riffs, bass and guttural screams are all abundant, enough to melt the face of any unwitting listener. But what the music does not give away, overtly at least, is the revolutionary elements that this album brought to the early 90s. 1992 saw the release of the well-respected debut album by Rage Against the Machine. Social commentary and politicised lyrics were included with a sort of unrestricted flow commonly associated with a terrible bout of diarrhoea. The cover cemented this approach. Politics is a topic of the day. But 1994 came along and with it, the Mr. Blobby album. The genius of the Mr. Blobby album is not so much the brutal musicianship, but the meta commentary and predictive power of the album. Taking the social commentary of Rage Against Machine on board, Mr. Blobby takes political music to its next logical step by disguising the hefty lyrical content behind a wall of crushing riffs and vocals so brutal that without deep inspection, they sound identical from one line to the next. Mr. <laughs> 
Mr. Blobby. Good. This guy's good. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Blobby heralded the information saturation of the internet age. The wall of sound created by Blobby and Edmonds mimics the effect modern social media has on our culture. The album is not only an affront to the senses, but a call to arms, baying for its listeners to draw a more critical eye over their cosmopolitan lives. The method of subversion and meta commentary is continually graceful on the cover. Nothing, the inner seriousness of the record, is revealed. The audience is given a red herring and forced to ask, just what am I getting myself into here? Not only brutal beyond comparison, but pushing the limits of cultural theory, this album must surely rank among the great in re- the greatest Western culture has ever spawned. And finally, my favourite, in 2009, B. Pollard called the record <laughs> a sad document of a crazed, <laughs> of a crazed soul. <laughs> he says... I had heard about this legendary album in hushed tones and in dark corners of clubs where seemingly innocent terms often have a double meaning. I could scarcely believe my eyes as I happened upon this rarely visited cranny of Amazon.co.uk. Would I finally be able to lay my hands on a genuine copy of Mr. Blobby the album by Mr. Blobby? Were the myths really true? Given its dangerous reputation, I'm sure you'll understand why I approached with some trepidation. But emboldened by the positive words of other reviewers, I crossed myself and clicked the order button. During his short career, Mr. Blobby had to contend with some unkind words from those who were unable or unwilling to understand him terms like fat pink spotted retard and person somehow able to tolerate noel edmonds were bandied about but however batshit unhinged he seemed at the time that abuse must have cut deep because its repercussions are queasily audible in every moment of this terrifying music perhaps it is what inspired mr blobby in many ways a harrowing centerpiece of this vision the lyrical grandiosity mr blobby your influence was spread throughout the land hope his philosophy of life will see him through and denial as far as he can see he's the same as me and you at times it degenerates into gurgling repetition of his name as if he needs convincing that the nightmare of his existence is really true. The music is harder to describe. Yes, there are face-shredding riffs. Yes, there are trip-hop, R&B and industrial influences at work. But it's the sheer insanity of artistic decisions like forcing the listener to contemplate his morphological in- irregularity by replacing the bass in the mix with the sound of his own squelching fatulence. One of the problems brought about by his bizarre condition that I gather he found most difficult to deal with. By juxtaposing his own tormented howl with the innocence of a children's choir and these ideas come maddeningly thick and fast, which is certainly part of what makes it so unsettling. Some accused him of outrageous bravado, but I see this very much of his, uh, as his cri de coeur, a plea for understanding from his tormentors. As for Edmonds himself, I don't think we'll ever know the truth of his involvement. Certainly one is aware of this album in the grandiose settlement uh, sentiment evident in the infamous Chegwin abated Knowles HQ rallies. But for me, there is... A- <laughs> There is here such a depth of twisted, unreal beauty, horror and madness that equating it with a brief moment of over-the-top bluster is like, con- is like comparing, as Blo- Blobby himself does, alluded to by a customer and another of you, a natural wariness of the feminine with the literal blob lake. Knowing him to be of stout constitution and giving him ample warning of the extreme nature of some of the content, I played it to my friend and neighbour, Mr Worthington. When the CD stopped, he stared at me, uttering the words, I pray for the existence of oblivion for the sake of (laughs) that poor man's soul and hasn't opened his mouth since. If he doesn't stop crying soon, I think I'm going to have to call someone and I'm going to have to explain, I'm going to have some explaining to do if Mrs Worthington returns from her girl's trip to Jamaica to find him this way. I suppose I must conclude that this is at once a sad document of a crazed and broken soul at the moment of collapse, and yet so much more than that. Listen at your own risk. I must weep now, for I have seen God's nature. So, (laughs) it's not... 
it's not all bad i guess is what i'm saying um it's a mixed bag and the customers did like it i think there's some very reasoned and serious and uh well thought out um, b, po- b pollard's nicked then. a couple of my jokes uh, so i won't do those um I, I wonder if b pollard is uh our friend, i think our mutual friend ben as in ben pollard um, I've also noticed on his Amazon, he's he's written a fair few reviews, and uh, I've noticed that he has a Marxist reinterpretation of the Chuckle Brothers in Trouble, which I will be reading immediately after this podcast. So he seems like a bit of a joker. Uh, I will say, if you want to have a little laugh at some Amazon reviews as well, go and have a look at their, their picture of Paul Ross uh, that you could buy a framed picture oh, of Jonathan yes. Ross's <laughs> Paul Ross. It's probably the, my favourite thing on Amazon. Yeah. Things on. Anyway, but hey, enough of silly Amazon reviews. Renfrey. <laughs> what do you think and i cannot actually believe i'm about to say this what do you think of mr blobby the album uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> i don't know what to think really um i think my god you know in the way that we were talking about how mr blobby and the creation and the idea behind mr blobby in and of itself is actually not a terrible idea I think there are ideas in this which are really smart <laughs> like really clever. I don't think they're ever executed well. <laughs> but the idea of making... Hold on here. Hold on. Here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's going on? What is this? Uh, Noel Edmonds is going to pop out of your fridge any moment with a gotcha Oscar. He's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so genuinely come the, on explain the, these good ideas to me please well, the idea of making it a radio broadcast in and of itself just that idea so queens of stone age nicked it didn't they queens of the stone age stole it wholesale my chemical mm. romance stole it wholesale clearly the grand theft auto video game stole it let's forget the fact that many bands have done it before mr blobby <laughs> yeah, but even just that as an idea it's not a terrible idea and it's sort of um i mean really this is a i'm going to put comedy in quotation marks this is a comedy album in the same in a similar vein to the sort of stuff that monty python not the nine o'clock news and the muppets used to release i remember listening to those uh th- those things on vinyl from my my parents collection the, like the, I, yes. yeah the monty python flying circus stuff and <laughs> and um and not the nine o'clock news and stuff and i think there is an argument to say that the mr mr blobby the album is merely a continuation of that for a very 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 young audience and from that point of view is there anything strictly wrong with that as an idea no not at all i think that's that's actually a very it's it's it, it's not a bad idea at all. Actually sitting down and listening to the entire hour of it in one sitting, I, I, I'm i not sure anyone past the age of, let's say, seven would be capable of doing that. <laughs> like, I had to I had to give this a couple of sittings before I could get through the whole thing. Because <laughs> it is I quite torturous. I listened to it in one... In one go. I yeah, but you hate, you go. really hate yourself. <laughs> you really I hate really yourself. I really do. I, I, <laughs> I can't wait to die. <laughs> 
But so much of the... I mean, what's weird to me with this album is I always felt like Mr. Blobby was aimed... Now, this is going to sound like a bonkers thing to say, especially out of context, but because of the program that it was on, because it was on Nell's House Party, I thought it was like aimed at, certainly when it started, at the family kind of thing. And this feels like a album aimed at kids and kids alone, you know. Why yeah. else would there be um, a very esoteric, in anyone else's hands, in the hands of swans or full of hell, going into an eight-minute reading rendition of blobby locks and the three bears would be a really acerbic avant-garde move let's be honest if full of hell did that you'd be like well shit me that that was unexpected and that's exactly what happens on this album it's fucking mental mental hold on i mean i I feel like i'm having some sort of fever dream because you've just compared mr blobby to full of hell and swans yeah (laughs) I'm just Yeah. Well, there are moments on this record which I thought were as difficult to listen to as Swans or Full of Hell. It was headache inducing. I don't think that's what they were aiming for. And I think that might be an issue (laughs) with the record as a whole. I feel like I've I've never had a migraine before, but I felt like I had it's given me nausea and diarrhea and and a a migraine. And I hate everyone, this album. I Uh, felt, yeah, I felt pressure in my head a lot. I suppose my butt, and it is a big butt, is Teletubbies has the same effect on me. If I watch Teletubbies for longer than five minutes, I'm just going to... The repetition and stuff like that, the entire point of the programme, because the repetition supposedly is meant to be good for toddlers, blah, 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 all that kind of thing. If I watch Paw Patrol, if I watch, you know, 99% of... Kids. Why are you watching Paw Patrol? Well, I'm not. I mean, that's my point. Right, but like, okay. if I were to do that, and if I were to do it for an hour... Or if you listen to All Time Low. <laughs> yes, quite. Well, there would be very little chance of me getting by Mr. Blobby. So that's one thing, which is slightly you different. You think? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's a feature. I thought you said you'd been had. watching clips of this. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I, I suppose all I'm trying to say is I'm trying to figure out what the audience is for this. Yes, and I, yes. I, I think a potential failing of it might be that it's not 100% sure. Well, look, let me let me give you an example of, of why I think you're right. And I think you're okay. right to kind of pick up on this. Is it, You know, we're about to go, this is a kid's song. There's nothing wrong with having kids' song. We've said this with the Beatles before. Like, you know, yeah. people, slag off the fro- people slag off the frog song. It's like, well, it's for kids. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, But I think the thing is, is like... Just because people will often go, ah, it's just for kids. It's for stupid fucking idiot kids, right? So they'll lap up any old shit. They're stupid. And mm. that's why so many bad children's television programs, so much bad kids' music, so much bad kids' movies are made. Because people just go, oh, I can whack any old bum together and that'd be it. And I think... A lot of people will assume when, that when it comes to making stuff for children, yeah, yes. Which I yeah, don't and, think is and, a good attitude to go in with. Not but, a good, terrible attitude. But that does happen all the time. And you've mentioned stuff like the Muppets and I would put down most Pixar things. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, well, every, yes. Everything Pixar I've ever done. I'm a huge uh, Pixar there, fan. Yep. There, there's so many things where you go, well, this is great, right? And it's for children. And it also has little 
little nods to things that adults would like as well for example yeah. you mentioned the story of the three bears which you just i've i've just written i do not need this noel i mean mr blobby <laughs> basically turns up it's the three bears but mr blobby turns up and basically wrecks their house like yeah. and and ba- at one point baby bear says i know poirot and you have to sort of think to yourself whoever penned this for a second forgot that it was for children because what children watch poirot how many ch- how many seven-year-old children do you know that watch poirot apart from the weird ones that you see on are you smarter than eight-year-old or whatever like scooby-doo or inspector gadget say scooby-doo or inspector gadget like just change it for kids don't write poirot like do you know what i mean it's absolutely ridiculous it's like having a scary bit and going oh and then the creature from the ring came out of the t-. it's like no it's not for kids this is for kids don't say that. You say you say Casper the friendly ghost. Don't say the don't say fucking Freddy Krueger. You or Michael Myers. You mad fuck. Why are you bringing up Poirot? I th- I mean I think, and I'm not strictly saying this as a defence, but I'm I'm simply saying this as um, the reason why I think it is. I I think the people who put Mr. Blobby together, and I think you can kind of tell this when you partly listen to this album, but also watch so many of the clips that I've been uh, re-watching and absolutely uh, devouring and loving in the last few days, that it feels like they did it as much for themselves as they did for for the audience now again i'm not saying that as an excuse but i think they found the sheer ridiculousness of mr blobby and the sheer ridiculousness of the fact that they you know for example got a number one single when the competition was really you know very strong meatloaf and take that back in 1993 that was very strong and and i I, there was almost a sort of dare i say mr blobby's punk there was a punk attitude of let's see how far we can take this what are you doing renfrey what are you doing to yourself i'm i'm just saying that i think there is a i could it feels like a lot of the time they're trying to push it and see how far they can take it and that Mm. and there's something in that 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 amuses me that doesn't necessarily make for great art i can't believe i said art in a mr blobby podcast but that doesn't necessarily make for great you know music or tv or whatever but there's loads of examples of creative people sort of doing that, just being like, let's see. I mean, Richard Herring talks about it a lot with um, Stuart Lee and um, this morning with Richard Not Judy and stuff like that. Let's just see how far we can push this and see how much we can get away with. Yeah. And I think there's an element of that in this record. I, re- I really do. There it, <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, that doesn't make stuff... it good. That doesn't no, make no, no, it no. good, but I think I, that is there, isn't it? I, I think that... Uh, <sighs> I think this is... Well, there are bits of it where I'm like, you're shitting this out. Like, I mean, Tony Blackburn and Noel Edmonds have the fucking chemistry and charm together of fucking Nikki Six and Jermaine Greer. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> they they do is, not... I don't disagree with you, but it's fucking weird because they are actually really good friends. But yes, <laughs> on this album... It sounds. I mean, it sounds like they were recorded in two different studios at two different times, in two different which... languages, and two different <laughs> universes. 
and you know like you just mentioned pixar pixar do that all the time like pixar very very rarely record the two characters in the same room it's only on very occasional um times but this actually does sound like they recorded their bits in separate studios so it is it is a radio interview with mr blobby tony blackburn interview mr blobby and noel is there for no fucking reason he's translator or something and then Mr. Blobby, old McBlobby had a farm, um, which is, uh, old McDonald had a farm, but instead of E-I-E-I-O, it's Blobby, Blobby, Blob. I mean, that is where, straight away, you're like, great. And then he says stuff like, it's got more farting noises in it. Loads, loads of farting noises. Lots of farting everyone's farting a lot throughout this entire thing. (laughs) And also, it's stuff like, old McBlobby had a farm, Blobby, Blobby, Blob, and on that farm, he had a slug. And flies. Why would you farm slugs and flies? I mean, he doesn't seem to know. He's not got much agricultural know-how. Old McBlobby is what I would deduce from that. And I'm not expecting him to be like some great agricultural mind. Hugh Furley Whittingstall. But you do not need a farm for slugs. And immediately I was like, well, you've lost me there. You've lost me. Blob Lake is just a waltz with more blob bits. Blob Lake is something from Swan Lake. Yeah, it was, uh, Blob Lake by by Chai Blobsky. Now, the, the only make <laughs> me laugh. The, the only joke I liked was Blobby's March Two, and they're like, yes. "Why is it called Blobby's March Two? Because it's written on the second of March." That's not <laughs> yeah. a bad joke. But yeah, then the song, <laughs> then the song is a load of fart noises, yes. and it's like, God, what is like eighteen minutes long? And Blobby himself is only on it for like ten seconds at the yeah. end. Of lazy cunt, he's not in it. Yeah. And then they There's a few do songs like, where he's not on it. He's not even on it. He's on the fucking like Jelly Bottom Rock. He's not on that. The best song Jive Bunny never wrote. They got a load of jokes in it, like they're doing the two Ronnies, like a sort of posh two Ronnies. I mean, at least this does have dynamics. I mean, I will give it that. This is a very dynamic album, and that that is a fact. This is more dynamic than ninety percent of metal albums. <laughs> it, it really is. actually is. It I mean, is. I will give it that. Christmas in Bob- Blobbyland, the single that we never really got. It's actually got a bit of a Peter Hook style bassline in it. Christmas <laughs> in Blobbyland, and it's although it's ruined by the state of the fucking girl band vocals, programmed drum and trumpets in the middle of it. I mean, yes, uh, actually, that's something that we should say, which we haven't mentioned yet. This is a cheaply put together record. Oh, it's so cheap. In, in, Tragically in a, cheap. In a, a Yoggin Quig sort of way. Very much so. I mean, to be fair, we're talking 10 years prior to Yoggin Quig, so, or more than 10 years prior, actually. So, yeah, and I think, that, I think production wise, they're about on the same level, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a cheap sounding record. I mean, I, I sat here and I was like, fucking hell, I am listening to a Christmas song in september <laughs> well it was probably recorded in september so uh it was a it was an insight into their lives at the time but yeah yeah um i'm really um, keen to talk are you getting on to clockwork, clockwork. let's talk about so clockwork starts with mr blobby saying that his wife is his favorite toy again okay <laughs> should we really be then he just laughs at whatever Tony Blackburn says to him. Like, he doesn't even say anything. He just laughs at Tony Blackburn. goes, oh, Mr. Blobby, uh, so um, what kind of clockwork toys do you like? And he just laughs, and he openly laughs in his face. <laughs> like, There's a lot of things on this album and then, that you can twist and make sound and then, really awful. And then it's like some fucking craft work meets the art of noise shit. But obviously about five years before that stuff was actually popular. Yeah. Like, who is that for? I who is that for? I couldn't believe my I was, ears I was sitting there going, came out. I was sitting there going, I might genuinely might come back to this one. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
I might, I might put it on a playlist of like cool electronic 80s music. I was like, how? This is not what... Children were not listening to this in 1994. Do you know what? No children were listening to fucking Kraftwerk. It's it's strangely... It's strangely avant-garde clockwork. Um, It reminded me of Money by Pink Floyd. And for once, I'm not being (laughs) flippant. It actually did. I'm not saying... I'm not saying it's as good or anything like that. But it reminded me of Money by Pink Floyd. And it really, really, really did. Um, it's like Money by way of Grace Jones and Swans. It's just it's one of the most weirdly avant-garde moments on a so-called children's album. It's genuinely quite nightmarish, I thought. Yeah. It's quite oh, yeah, disturbing. Yeah. It is it stands out on this record. This is oh. like <laughs> yes. this is like this is like buying a Ministry of Sound album and they just put like a sun song in the middle of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, why? Why have you done this? I mean, I actually sat there and for a minute I was like, oh my God, I actually quite like this. But I was also like, this album's not for me. And I was always the whole way I was going, well, you know, it's not for me. Like, is it actually good? It's not for me. And then I found myself going, well, this is the sort of thing that I like listening to. What the actual fuck is going on? Uh, It's mad. It's a mad thing to do. Blobby music game. What the fuck? Blobby music game is a waste of fucking time. But it was cowboy. A little bit of music about cowboy blob, and then ah, little blob, the red Indian. He was in dances with blobs. Now that has not aged well, has it? That has not aged well at all. No. Neither ten pink blobbies. So can can make it kids do ten green bottles but with pink blobbies instead of green bottles which is surely some sort of child abuse mental how bad the production is 10 pink blobbies is a really weird one because it really does fuck with your sense of time because you're always aware of like how much time's gone past how much time you have left it's a countdown 10 pink blobbies on the wall nine pink blobbies on the wall eight pink blobbies on the wall but it makes a countdown from 10 to 1 seem like the longest fucking thing in the entire world so it's mad so long i think it's got two key changes that song which is yeah. fucking insane and then at the end for no reason at the end just a massive fart noise <laughs> yeah. right don't know how to end this massive fart noise fine down at crinkly bottom just bad jokes again at the start yeah and there's some sort of like oh yo the english folksy number but they swap out the fart noises for sheep going, and a chicken going, Rah! like, what? The earthworm song it goes all songs of praise. So, But it's about worms and not gods. Like, what so, the fuck is going on? So, so I mentioned this to you over the phone, but the earthworm song is the one which I don't think sounds a million miles away from Anna von Hauswolf. <laughs> and again, it's like that, it's that pipe organ album that I adored and you fucking hated, All Thoughts Fly. I was like, well, this could slot onto that quite easily. It's <laughs> probably good. I take away the words and take away the lyrics and it's like, yeah, this could work on that. And then we've got Mr. Blobby's Looney Bathtub Band. Here we and go. And what's that got to do with anything? It's not the fucking Monster Mash, but it's about Mr. Blobby in the bath. And we've got loads of camp, different voices. It's just like, fucking hell, you've... You've been on the glue, haven't you, you lot? You've been <laughs> sniffing glue. It brought back um, quite torrid memories of listening to the Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band OST. Uh, because actually the things that they do with it 
are practically identical. They basically put these weird Kenneth William-esque voices and affectations over the top of it. There's all that kind of stuff that you were doing uh, on that podcast. The oohs and oh and all that kind of thing. <laughs> which is not appropriate <laughs> at all. Um, no. Talking it- like sticking lavender up his ass or something it's about, it's like <laughs> alluding to it so oh, for fuck's sake i mean you know one thing i will say for this <laughs> over the sergeant pepper ost um that it's five minutes or something along those, those lines of weird like you're going for something but you, you but you're not getting it and you know the sergeant's pepper's ost was almost two hours long so at least this is only five minutes of weird that weird avant-garde thing but yeah it feels like um feels like they watched the film and went oh yeah let's do that but let's just put mr blobby in it i know <laughs> fucking mental fucking mental and then we get what i've called uh, the uh, the spaceman by babylon zoo of this album the big hit mr blobby tony blackburn <laughs> quite generously before the song comes in says that he doesn't know anyone that doesn't like the song and uh, noel says well take that don't like it much yeah take that and pretty much everyone else who's ever heard it, it is, <laughs> fuck, i mean we didn't talk about the actual song this song is absolutely terrible it is absolutely terrible and it changes so much it's got the fucking kids choir which is always the death knell for anything it changes all the time like every fucking five seconds something else happens it is like it is like it's like the equivalent of being tied up and attacked by 20 20 toddlers who have had their blood replaced with sherbet right it's just like fucking mad and He's hardly on it. He just goes blobby, blobby, blobby. Yeah, he isn't on it much. It doesn't know what to be. It is is not a song. It it, it is not a song. Even, you know when people hear like the Dillinger, the Dillinger Escape Plan, and they're like, oh, all these bits are totally unconstructed. Or like, you know, I hear Dub War and I go, well, there's a reggae bit, and then it goes into a metal bit, and they're not really constructed. This is like 20 different bad ideas just kind of cobbled together but just saying mr blobby in the middle of it like it's just fucking so bad i can't believe people bought this fucking record <laughs> Six hundred thousand people bought this song thousand people bought this song and it's not a song it's not a song no, it's, not uh, a, it's not a song uh, it's a collection of noises which is annoying noise. I know, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 our, our, our friend on Amazon, Mister B Pollard, kind of already pointed this out. But I think another example of this song, like not knowing want, what it wants to be, is the lyrics for this song are so not the lyrics to a kids' song. They're kind of like existential. I mean, basically. His philosophy of life will steer him through. Pick the word philosophy in a kid's song, as insane as it is. And as far as he can see, he's the same as you and me. There's nothing in the world he cannot do. Although he's unconventional in hue, his philosophy of life will steer him through. And despite the limitation of his poor coordination, he knows he'll show the world a thing or two. I still kind of feel... (laughs) Even down here... Oh, Mr. Blobby, if humanity's a question of degree, Mr. Blobby, stay loyal to your Blobby pedigree. But can you imagine? Because someone wrote the lyrics to that and then someone else wrote the music, right? So this guy has sat down and he's gone, do you know what? I'm going to actually try and say something with these lyrics. <laughs> I'm try and turn this into some sort of... I'm going to try and... I'm going to do what Mickey Rourke did with his character in Iron Man 2. I'm going to go and like... <laughs> 
study gels in Russia and stuff. And I'm going to like pay for my legs. Yeah. And, like, yeah and, and all that. And then, and the studio just cut it all out. Just like fucking cut it all out and yeah. turn it into like a one dimensional yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. Right. And that's what some blokes gone right. I'm going to, you know, I'm really going to try and like tap into the essence of what it is that makes people like Mr. Blobby. And then they've got the music and the music just goes, it's like fucking hell just bombarded with like fucking fart noises and blobby noise and I didn't even know those were the lyrics until he just read them out I knew like blobby Mr. Blobby you're a fucking something 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 I didn't fucking know because it's just loads of like whip so what's going on you're the one who bears the pink and yellow crest you'll always prove that blobby is the best i mean it's very profound it's 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 like a chimp smashing up a yamaha keyboard (laughs) it's what like a 1984 16 beat like Yamaha cheap fucking keyboard that you get. It's like a chip just smashing it on a rock. That yeah. is the fucking music to it. Oh, it's a it sounds fucking horrible. Yeah. absolute fucking mess. I mean, what it's a bad, It's just a bad song. They follow it up with a fart riddled version of Happy Birthday. And at this awesome. point, this is the exact point where I felt the will to live exit my body. That is the moment. I was like, I, 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 I've got nothing else for this earth. Well, it was the penultimate song, so compared to some of the records on Broken Records, it did it's quite true. well. Did quite it's well, true. you know. It's I mean, true. you're over 50 minutes into the record by the time you get to Happy Birthday. 50 fucking minutes. <laughs> and then um, both Noel and Mr. Blobby fall asleep during a live radio broadcast, which is incredibly unprofessional. Uh, uh, it's an emotion I can get behind, although the nightmares I'd be having uh, if I did fall asleep while having, like, in the middle of this record probably wouldn't be worth it. And it all ends on another weird electronic number called Lullaby, which is like Aphex Twin meets the play bus. And you just think, like, what is going on here? There's even these massive like synth throb bits that go boom, 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 in the middle of it, which is like, that's not putting you to sleep, you mad fucks. Like, you've got this really like, do-do-do-do-do, and then just go boom, 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 boom. It's just a really odd, grating experience. And the last word of the album is, you're dribbling. And good God, <laughs> they are dribbling. <laughs> so true. But again, you could see all of this as a bunch of people have got together and said, let's see how, see how far we can push this. Let's see if we can... Let's see if the lyrics to the massive Christmas number one could be about what it's like to be a Mr. Blobby and if uh, he's like humanity and an existential crisis. And let's see if we could. I mean, Aphex Twin wouldn't have even been on anyone's radar at that point. I don't even know if Aphex Twin was a thing. Yeah, uh, 89, 89, ambient 89, 89, of, course, 93, no, you, of course, of course, you're right. Yeah. But so, yeah, because oh, maybe they were like, ah, oh, I really like Aphex Twin. I wonder if we could get <laughs> yeah, that. Sure. Into this lullaby. Might, oh, why not? Why not? You never yeah. know. I mean, you don't know. I mean, this is the epitome of like the most bizarre, desperate cash-in, isn't it? The absolute zenith of the worst kind of digging around in filth for a nickel. The cheapest, sort of grossest, shittiest, most cynical thing. Squeezing every last fibre, every morsel from that last 15 minutes of fame. I mean, it's all that. And it was obviously, it was overkill. And it was all going to go downhill from here. But what we've been left with is something that in 2021 is a total oddity. But weirdly, (laughs) weirdly, I found myself going, Mr. Blobby, like so often, (laughs) and just being completely weirded out by it. that It became oddly charming, yet despicable. (laughs) And I hate it. And let's not forget what a stupid, 
stupid piece of shite this is. But at the same time, I was going, I guess, what a time to be alive. Do you know what I mean? That was the first song of 1994 and what a year it turned out to be. So I don't know what to make of this, Limfrey. I don't no. know who I am anymore. No, neither do I. Um, I think what's particularly hard about it is there are elements of this record which feel very... Um, like it should be very highly placed on the table. There's elements which are very angelic to the core or even Eog and Quig, I've already mentioned, self-titled, you know, the cheapness of the record, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, OST, I think there's quite a lot of in there. But at the same time, at the core of it, I can't help but think that there's also an element of the transformed man, William Shatner, that are kind of tongue-in-cheek like, yeah, we know this is fucking insane. Yeah, we know it's bonkers. Yeah, we know we know what we're doing. We are trying to make the most fucking mad... Re- I mean, yes, it's a cynical cash-in. And yes, it is made predominantly to make people money more than anything else. And, you know, I mean, you know, whether that's a terrible thing or not is debatable. It's certainly a cynical cash-in. But the fact that it const- <laughs> this album constantly surprised me <laughs> like throughout its runtime i was constantly like well i wasn't expecting that well what the fuck's happening there i found it an ordeal i found it a hell of an undertaking and i found it really really tough in points but at the same time there was a lot of dd king-esque william shatner-esque like what the fuck this is mad this is bonkers so i'm really and i don't think just clumping for a spot in in the middle in between those two stools is the correct place for this either so it's a really weird thing this record we'll get to a second what i will say before we get into the placing is this is dd king and william shatner um they knew how probably knew how ridiculous it was. Maybe DD less than William Shatner. I think there is an element to them going like, yeah, yeah, we know this is fucking ridiculous and it is overtly ridiculous. But I don't think there's anything particularly cynical. There's no kind of cynical cash grab of a look. We've got 15 minutes of fame. Let's milk the living shit out of it. In I the mean, same yeah. way as there is with Mr. Blobby. But That's we'll get to that. Yeah. We'll get to that in a minute. Let's talk about the aftermath of all of this and then we'll rank it. Okay. And then we'll pick something definitely more boring out of that. <laughs> um, as I said, uh, it's the beginning of the end, this, isn't it? In 1994, yeah. um, it's with... That's... <laughs> 94 chimed in with Mr. Blobby ringing in an irate, mostly irate, say for 600,000 people, which in a country of 70 million odd is probably still not enough for you to be considered like, you know, like a a national treasure or anything. (laughs) Noel got a bit cocky and opened a series of theme parks in Lancashire, Somerset and Suffolk, and Suffolk, uh, all called the Crinkly Bottom, um, based off of the success of of Mr. Blobby. Um, Within two years of opening um every single reference to mr blobby had been removed from the park in somerset and he was replaced with noddy who um has stood the test of time slightly more than mr <laughs> blobby uh after it closed down it became uh, allegedly it became the site for a series of illegal raids yes but, um it did close down in 1997 and the polystyrene toilet that was um 
it was in the theme park is now in a museum for some fucking reason. Uh, the yeah. lowest off Suffolk Park was opened, and um, a year later, due to a change of ownership, they decided to change the name, just bin it off completely. But the real like fuck up was in Morecambe, Lancashire. The park was given a three hundred thousand pound investment by the council, but was plagued by problems immediately. Visitors wrote to the local papers. Uh, complained about the lack of facilities at the park um, it obtained a liquor license um, which was also fuel for those people who were, who were against it to say that it was going to um, add to a hooligan element that it would attract I mean I'm not sure if people are going to Mr Blobby are going to get tanked up particularly but I mean it probably helped to be fair and by the end of, uh, of 1994 um the Labour Council um, that had given it the green light had withdrawn its support of the park and um uh, they were actually suing Noel Edmonds himself regarding unfulfilled promises of how the park would be built, and run and handled. Um, but rather than that, an independent body ruled that it was in fact the council's fault who, and they'd acted unlawfully regarding the contract to build the site. And Noel Edmonds was awarded £950,000 in damages and the, cl- the park had to be closed within 13 weeks of opening, apparently at a cost of £2.6 million to the taxpayer and was dubbed Blobbygate. mm yeah, cool. There's there's a, there's a fascinating article um, on Vice about the uh, Blobby theme parks and all that stuff, where it goes into quite a lot of detail about, about all that stuff. I have to confess, um, the Blobby theme park stuff was not something. Where you went for your birthday? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it's actually where I'm planning to hold the Riot at Christmas show this year. Um, no, it wasn't. Um, it, it it wasn't something that I was aware of until after the fact. Um, I don't gutted, recall. Aren't you? Absolutely gutted. <laughs> well, I suppose the point I'm making because obviously time is a bit of a weird thing when you're that age. And like to me, like I was obsessed with Blobby for years. But I th- <laughs> I'm glad to say that in reality, I think it's likely that I thought Mr. Blobby was fucking hilarious for like a year maximum, probably. And then I kind of moved on to other things, as you tend to do when you're young. Mm. Um, but the but the fact that I hadn't heard even because if I heard of the theme park at the time of my like that the peak of my blobby love, I would have been on it and like begging my mum to go and take me to any of the peak you of know. your blobby love. So like two hours ago. <laughs> 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 yes, yes, quite. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, so I was, yeah, I was, I was unaware of them uh, un- until yeah, until too. I saw until I saw that Vice article. Um, I think it was written a few years ago now. They actually, um, they actually, weirdly, on, <laughs> on the twenty fifth anniversary of uh, the park shutting down, um, the one show sent Nick Hewer. Uh, Alan Sugar's no. mate and the guy from oh, yeah, 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 yeah. To, to, to go and look at the remains and just sort of wander around like looking up at the sky and shaking his head ruefully of like, all the people to send Nick Hewer <laughs> let's get Nick Hewer down Blobby Land he seems like exactly the kind of guy who would enjoy doing that uh, in 1995 there was an article in the New York Times of all things mm. I mean you know obviously didn't travel to America that well but he said uh, Mr Blobby was proof of Britain's deep seated attraction to trash uh, and it also mentioned an, an incident where Mr Blobby threw a six year old's <laughs> birthday cake on the ground and the girl's dad punched Mr Blobby uh, the son ran a story with the headline dad gives Mr Blobby a smack in the gobby which for all of my <laughs> utter disdain and hatred for the sun yeah. that is a that is a pretty good headline that's, that's, quite, that's quite good yeah yeah um in 1994 a mr blobby video game was released for the amiga 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, they, yeah. Everyone loved the Amiga in 1994, didn't they? Everyone had an Amiga. You got, yeah, you got. Uh, what you get? You're gonna get the uh, the, the new PlayStation's coming out next year. No, I don't need one. I've got an Amiga. <laughs> you're gonna get a Super Nintendo. Why would I do that? I've got an Amiga. No one said that in 1994. <laughs> Fucking no. Maybe no five one. years. Maybe five years previous, but not in 1994. Yeah. No. <laughs> And it received negative reviews. That'd be like releasing a, like, a fucking Paw Patrol game on like a Sega Saturn today, <laughs> wouldn't it? Like, what's the fucking point? Um, <clears throat> Sega Saturn. <laughs> In 1995, they tried to recreate the success of the Mr. Bobby single by releasing the Christmas song Christmas in Blobbyland. But it only made made it to number 36 in the UK chart. Don't know where it got to in Australia. Um, (laughs) And as Series 7 of Noel's House Party began in 1997, Mr. Blobby had become a peripheral figure in the show. And during the series, he was dropped completely. Um, That was a time, I think, where... I mean, we talked about the start when Noel's House Party was really big. By the kind of mid-90s, I loved it because it was like a time where light entertainment and all of its various crimes against humanity actually started to die out. Like I said, stuff like Vic and Bob and mm. the success of Brass Eye and TFI Friday and all that kind of stuff had happened. I guess people hated the word, but all of those, all of those sorts of shows had come along and was starting the shooting stars and stuff like that and it started to kind of really infiltrate that alternative comedy boom really taken over and light entertainment was was pretty much dead here in the uk and it was beautiful so shout out simon cowell for bringing that fucking absolute shite that absolute <laughs> shite that he is responsible for and now you look at it it's back in it light entertainment michael mcintyre's comedy roadshow yeah. michael mcintyre's saturday night ball baggery the x factor britain's got talent fucking the wall strictly the wall with danny dyer like all of that utter shit is back isn't it the masked singer sorry joel but the masked singer uh, the voice like all that fucking crap is back all of that fucking crap crap is back thanks simon cowell we got rid of it we got rid of it all and you fucking brought it back you mad fuck it seems to be in the last few years as well, where it's really. I mean, obviously, there's a couple of exceptions there, strictly and stuff like that. But but a lot of those shows that you're talking about have actually just started in the last sort of two to three years or something like that. So there's a weird kind of hunger for it now. I mean, I suppose we've said in the past, culture is cyclical and has a roughly sort of twenty year kind of cycle. So actually, it sort of makes sense in a lot of ways. Maybe twenty five years, but yeah, I mean, it, it you know. It does make mm. sense that it's coming about now. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, is there not an argument to say that maybe not all of those shows, I think there's lots of like genuine problems with X Factor and stuff like that, but is it not an argument to say that a lot of those shows are just guiltless entertainment? Like, there's nothing untoward about them. They're not hurting anyone. You know, is, is Mr. Blobby, like, apart from... Uh, Will Carling that and that kid's birthday cake. <laughs> is he really? Is 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 he? Yeah, he's. An, I can see why people would find him annoying. I mean, yeah, he's annoying. I get it. But is he hurting anyone really? Is it such an awful thing? It's easy enough to avoid these days. That light. Listen to you. Listen to you. Sounding like a fucking SS officer going. I was just following orders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah. <laughs> 
No, no, Mr. Blobby is one of the... I mean, I, I think I would probably take Noel's house party over every time I turn on the telly on a Saturday night and I'm like, fucking, it's half eight and Casualty's still on. Or, which is actually, yeah. at least at least they're fucking make it. This is a script for Casualty. Do you know what I mean? Like, every time I turn on ITV on a Saturday and I'm just like, what is this? What I, is this? I, this, I guess... Abso- this is the kind of fucking absolute dross that i used to have to sit through when i was a kid and yeah it's back and then there was a little felt like there was a little tiny period from about kind of 1995 through to maybe like 2001 where it wasn't really so much like that and then it just sort of slowly started creeping back pop stars and exactly that's when it for me when it was like yeah. oh yeah you're back now so it's back to like real fucking boring dross i i think the thing that i would you know i i'm not trying to, it sounds like i'm trying to defend noel's house party and mr blobby and hail it as some sort of culturally significant it does thing. sound just uh, like I, that, yes. <laughs> i'm not trying to do that but i'm just saying for example like this reference is a little bit old but the wall on bbc one which did end up being a saturday night fixture which was effectively um it's on a, now what bring on the wall that... yeah a screen is lifted and there is a human shaped hole and you have to get yourself into that shape and it's often quite awkward and stuff like that and then that's the program and if it, and if and th- this foam thing comes towards you and if you get knocked off you lose and if you get through the human shaped hole you win um i mean that would have been a segment on Noel's house party. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It wouldn't have been an entire program. So if you, if if you, I didn't think we'd actually get into a conversation about light entertainment then versus now. But if you're going to go down, <laughs> if you are going to go down that route, I think yes. Noel's house party pisses on the majority of what we see today. It, it, uh, that it, does sound like old man saying I prefer telly. It back probably in my day. does. It probably it does. does. Yeah. But I mean, it's you know that's. I mean, God, I've watched episodes of Bullseye in the last year. I remember <laughs> play your cards right. Do you know like fucking sale of the century or fucking whatever like all that stuff like, oh, fucking oh a lot of it's crap. rubbish yeah, yeah, yeah. anyway 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 um basically noel's house party ended closes its doors for the final time in series eight in 1998 with mr blobby making a one-off appearance on the final episode um alongside musical guest martin mccutcheon <laughs> just to show you how bad that was the reception he gets is fucking maddening maddening he smashes through the door through the wall in a goalkeeper kit and people were like it's like recently like i don't watch wrestling anymore right but people said to me you gotta watch the bit where cm punk comes back and the poppy gets it's like fucking cm punk coming back to wrestling watching fucking mr blobby come down it's like people were like on their chairs on their seats going and they were chanting blobby blobby for ages and he tries to save some penalties. He falls over a lot. Noel laughs at him falling over. And then both him and Noel were gone. And I mean, literally, in both cases, for a very long time, they were gone. Yeah. Six years, in fact. Noel Edmonds, six years off of television. Um, quite the drop, wasn't it? When you think he was, as we said at the start of this, the fucking biggest dude on BBC One. And it was 2005 when he came back to do Deal or No Deal. And I remember being like, Noel Edmonds is on telly. Mm, just yeah, unthinkable yeah, yeah. that he'd be able to have another hit on his hands but he did fair it's play credit he and, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and i i used to watch uh deal or no deal a lot i liked it okay yeah I, uh, I i liked it. it was just people opening a box um and then thinking that there was some sort of <laughs> actual structure to that i liked it once where there was a guy oh have i ever told this story about the guy who had 
who had 10p and 100 grand left with his two last two boxes. Have I ever told this story? It's my one of my, my favourite thing, one of my favourite things I've ever seen because I'm a heartless, horrible prick, right? And this guy, the whole time, he was going, box number 17, it's my brother, my dead brother's birthday is box number 17 and I know he's looking out, down on me, he's looking out for me and I know box number 17, there's going to be some money in box number 17, box number 17 and somebody had box number 17 and he wouldn't open box number 17 and it got down to the last two boxes and it was 10p and 100 grand, right? And he had the box and he was like, I want box number 17. Now, do you want to swap boxes? And he's like, yes, because box 17 is my brother's birthday. So it's meant to be my dead brother is looking down from heaven on me. And he swapped boxes. And of course, it's the 10p. And I literally stood up and punched the air and celebrated because I was like, you prick, you fucking prick. Like your dead brother cannot put a hundred grand in a box from heaven for you you mad fuck it's completely random and you're going no 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 my bro what (laughs) i loved it well there are genuinely a lot of academic papers uh in a sort of mathematical sense or a statistical sense and a psychology sense as well that look at the uh that look at dealism or no deal as an example of how we attribute luck and so on and so forth so these stupid things and the statistical reasoning for these boxes coming up or that box because it's full of all that sort of stuff that's where the the quote-unquote drama of deal no, or no deal comes from isn't it all of that kind of stuff um i never got behind it, what's actually. your strategy i said like, what's your strategy <laughs> open boxes. a box just go at that one open <laughs> yeah. that um... I was always like, get down to like, do you want 17 grand for your box? Yeah, I do. I've come here with nothing. Like, fuck it. And then, <laughs> give me 17 grand. Give me 17,000 pounds. I'm not going to risk it. For yeah. that. Like, uh, it's stu- like, always the deep- smartest thing to do. Always. A, deep- a deeply stupid program. Mm. But yeah. I did like watching it. And mainly I like watching it because Noel Edmonds was very good on it because he did make you feel like there's some sort of drama attributed to it, even though there's not. He's got something to him. He's got something yes, to him. Fair play. Fair play to him. But as for Mr. Blobby, well, um, I guess he's there with Zig and Zag and Ed the Duck and Gordon the Gopher and Gilbert the Alien, who is my personal favourite. Are um, you just doing a list of legends now? Yeah, in the long lost, forgotten 90s kids TV things. Although they're all very weird. They're all very British. Um, mm. Gilbert the Do you remember Gilbert the Alien? Brilliant. That that's the one that Phil... I remember least. But now that you said okay. it, it, does ring a bell. Yeah. Can yeah, I yeah. say right? Going Gilbert the Alien was voiced by uh, by Phil Cornwall, who plays. Yes. Um, uh, uh, he's in Alan Partridge. He's um, the other the other DJ. Uh, what's his name? Um, I, I absolutely Dave remember. Clifton. He's Dave Clifton yeah. in in Alan Partridge, and he, they just used to let Phil Cornwall improvise all this weird. Like he literally was doing weird avant-garde fucking shit. Gilbert the Alien was fucking great, but didn't last as, as long. And and you go back and look at some of that stuff; it's really funny. Um, but all weird British things, and he's definitely Mr. Blobby, the most famous one of them. And just yeah. the mention of him seems to drive people fucking crazy. And he seems he's, he's started to pop up now as a <laughs> remember the nineties? Oh, because now it's all nineties nostalgia. He's a thing in it. Um, yeah. The big fat quiz of the 90s scared yeah. the shit out of Jack Whitehall, didn't he? I don't know if you've seen yeah. that clip. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in the Tesco advert to Loose celebrate women. their 100th birthday. Loose women being asked about yeah. Brexit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, being asked about Brexit <laughs> as Mr. Blobby in Loose, in loose Women. Um, and he's in Panto this year, in Milton Keynes, in Peter Pan. So he's yes. sort of back. 
He's sort of back. I mean, it's hardly a Mickey Rourke style resurrection, the wrestler <laughs> style resurrection, but he is back. It's not a Matthew McConaughey, uh, is it? Quite. Um, but um, Who? we. Uh, Matthew McConaughey is the Matthew, oh, Matthew. McConaughey. This idea has only been discussed off mic, but I did uh, suggest to Steve that maybe we could start a £100 portion of the patron for us to go and see uh, the pantomime Peter Pan at the Chrysalis Theatre in Milton Keynes and um, review the panto that Mr Blobby will be starring in uh, beginning 4th December 2021. Uh, going all the way up to the 2nd of January 2022. Uh, so we'll see how popular an idea that is. Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> Some fucker will pay it. You reckon? You reckon? If someone's well, going to buy the Steggel CD for 100 Fuck quid. you. Fuck you. <laughs> that is worth... Fuck you. Shall we rank you, it? You think, you think Sons of Alpha Centuria are sitting there going, oh, I love Mr. Blobby and Panto. No. So fuck you. Anyway... <laughs> Shall we, shall we rank it? Shall we rank it? Renfrey, I hate to break this to you, but this album is a, a, a car crash, cynical car crash, cheap, unbearable piece of shit. On the one hand, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's difficult to deny that. Yeah, And it <laughs> although it's not morally reprehensible, no. overtly in the same way as Blood on the Dance Floor or Methods of Mayhem is, it is still... <laughs> like grown adults raking in cash for something with really no inherent artistic value taking kids for mugs and just making themselves laugh in the process of doing it it's fucking stupid and it's got to go really high on this list it's got to i'm sorry it just has despite uh despite my um <laughs> I mean, have I? Have I? To, I don't think I've tried to um, stick up <laughs> this record too much. God, you've ch- you've changed your tune. <laughs> no, I've just I've just I've just tried to give a couple of um, uh, alternative mm. facts about the record. Sure. <laughs> I've just tried to I've just tried to look at things from a different perspective on it. Um, I mean, there's lots that's wrong with it, um, and it's a fucking mess to say mm. the least. It sounds really, really cheap. As I said, there were there were lots of parts on it which reminded me of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club OST and all that kind of thing. Um, as I have said throughout this podcast, I do think that there is a sense that the people who are making this do have their tongue a little bit in cheek and are trying to push things in a sense. But just because they've gone in with it, in my opinion, they've gone into this with that attitude doesn't necessarily mean that they get great results. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. I mean, one thing I'm going to say right now is um, when the track that's um, doing Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band type thing came in and it reminded me of how bad the Sergeant Pepper's OST was, I I was like, well, at least it's not as bad as that. So <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm really, really not sure that you can really? sit here and tell me that because... Well, that album's twice as long to start with. (laughs) Yeah, and we did say, you know, Aerosmith are fine on that record. Uh, Billy Preston is fine on that record. You said yourself you'd go back to that Clockwork song or whatever it's fucking called. (laughs) That is one song, isn't it? That is one bit. Okay, you've got two songs from... (laughs) And also, and also, you have 
as we said at the time, a lot of, I mean, a bit of a disaster. They managed to fuck up Beatles songs that badly, but they're still Beatles songs, aren't they? Yeah. Okay. Fart, uh, farting uh, happy birthday. <laughs> I'd rather hear a soul version of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds and them get it quite badly wrong than I would hear somebody fart happy birthday. <laughs> Uh, uh, I mean, it's a very, it's a, yes okay so the material the original material on here is not quite up to the standards of the original material on the Beatles Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band uh, I will give you that but you know I, I suppose there's also the hubris thing of the people behind Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band I mean I suppose the Bee Gees excluded genuinely thought that they were making something brilliant because of the sheer amount of cocaine that they'd stuffed up their noses um whereas i don't i don't think anyone making this album has illusions of grandeur delusions of grandeur i should say or anything like that i i'm actually not sure you keep saying this and i'm not sure i'm not sure that noel edmonds doesn't think that this is really funny and really good and these are all really great ideas and that kids will love it Uh, does Noel Edmonds seem like the sort of person to you who would be have the kind of like wherewithal to not do to do something just be like let's just shit it out and it'd be crap and ah it'd be funny in our heads? I'm not sure Noel Edmonds, from my my knowledge of Noel Edmonds, has that thing to him. I'm not sure he does. I'm not sure Tony Blackburn does. I think both of them find this sort of thing quite funny. I think you only have to go and look at clips of the things that they did in their career. And you can see that they're they're actually like fairly fucking serious about the whole thing. They're just naff. They're two people who are naff. Between finding something funny and genuinely think there's any worth or merit in it. Um, yeah, I, I do think they they find this stuff funny. And and there's so many clips where you look at you know, Noel is. Uh, I mean, the term would be corpsing. Um, I mean, it's it's not really corpsing because he's not sticking to an actual script and it's somewhat improvised anyway but he is laughing about the fact that i don't know a prop's broken because you know mr blobby's got a bit too mad on the props or whatever and those were actually genuinely those were always the funniest moments from the mr blobby stuff when stuff actually went wrong and and that but the fact is is what's genius about mr blobby is things went wrong all the time it's genius it's genius i'm telling you it's genius I, I I was sitting here like dissecting what is and isn't good about the genius of Mr. Blobby. I don't know where I've gone wrong in my life, to be honest. I don't know what's happened here. Like it's 2021, and Renfrey is talking to me about the subtle genius differences between the TV show as well. Not even the fucking album. He's gone off. He's let, he's fucking. I fuck the album. Like <laughs> let me go back yeah. to let me talk about the real good shit. Let me like, fucking in mainlining Mister <laughs> Blobby clips on YouTube. Like a like. <laughs> You're a fucking nutter. Had a great fucking time. Mad guy <laughs> wanking into your lunchbox. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna fuck that lunchbox, and you're gonna clean it up with the towel, aren't you? Yeah, after we yeah. finish, and obviously this. at climax, obviously at climax, I'll go blobby, blobby, blobby. Yeah. Um, I, uh, look, I, I mean. Okay, well, go on. Where do you want to put I, it? Go I, on. I, I don't want to break your little think heart. Where do you want to put it? Oh, but below, but you, 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 you talk like you prefer this to One Hot Minute. I'm not going to lie. You talk like someone who thinks this album is better than One Hot Minute because you had a lunchbox when you were seven. I mean, that is what you've. Re- I just want you to That's know that is what I'm okay, thinking. It. Cool. I think. 
uh, I'm thinking it. The listener is probably thinking it. You've you've embarrassed yourself. You've reduced yourself to nothing more than a little weasel worm, pathetic slug of a man. But I don't want to hurt. You. I don't want to upset you. <laughs> we will have this out. I think Ripley's going to fucking disciplinary after this. I'm going to call Ripley into my office for a disciplinary about conduct after we finish this because this is mad. The okay. shit you're saying is mad. Well, but go on. Where do you want to put it? You want to put it below Sergeant Peppers, don't you? You actually well, want to do to, that. I was going to suggest maybe 15th after Sergeant Peppers. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not like going, let's put it next to one hot minute. Steady on. I, I think the albums that it is most like on the list, and that is a very hard, that's a very tall order because this isn't really anything like anything we've done before, I don't think. But um, the albums that it most resembles are Yogg and Quig because of the cheapness of it and the fact that they're... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the Yogg and Quig's case, they're kind of... Uh, a kind of using Yogg and Quig um, as a cynical cash grab. But, you know, you could also say Yogg and Quig's a cynical cash grab, as is this. Um, and the Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, I suppose, just because of how many times it just made me go, what the actual fuck? Um, Sergeant Pepper's Hearts, the OST, made me do that a lot more because it's double the fucking length, which is a black mark against it. Uh, this goes on a long fucking time, but not in the same way that Sergeant Pepper's did. And yeah, it's. It, I think it's going for a similar sort of humour in some parts of it. Um, I mean, some of it is based just on the fact that I think this isn't as astronomically awful as Sergeant Pepper's because it's half the length. I get what you're saying. Re, you know, some of those songs you just cannot fuck up. I recall, I don't want to listen to it again, but I recall the version of A Day in the Life on Sergeant Pepper's, like, the song is so good. It's like, there's a glimmer of a great song on here. It is smeared. The production's awful. Production's it's very bad. smeared it? in shit, but you can eat it. That song is so good, you can still see the glimmer of a great song there. Uh, yeah, I get that you don't have <laughs> happy birthday. <laughs> I mean, happy birthday. Is it a good song? I don't know. <laughs> I have never ever seen it. I think it's, it's fine. I think, where's it? It's below Billy. It's below Billy Eilish on the Rolling Stones top five hundred songs of all time. Um, I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, I, 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 I don't know. Well, I don't know. So I'm, I'm proposing number fifteen below Sergeant Pepper. Do you have a, a, even a proposal? Because it is fucking hard to to figure out where the fuck this record goes. It's really hard. The I was honestly thinking. The only thing, I mean, I feel like the true symphonic rockster at this point should be above Double right. Wide by Uncle Cracker. And I think this is, the true symphonic rockster is slightly worse than this. Oof. That is my feeling. Uh, but then I'm looking at everything else and there's not really a lot to go on here, is there? I mean, Methods of Mayhem's awful, Blood on the Dance Floor, Corey Feldman's mental, but I kind of want to be nice to that. I mean, the shags, yeah. bad for the shags. Clash yeah. Album is a disgrace. Vanilla Ice is awful. Towers of London is awful. Six Feet Under is awful. Eogan's yeah. awful. I mean, it's not. It's not even till you get to like Sergeant Pepper's where there's any even semblance of something where it might not be absolutely com- a complete write off. Like I said, the and you said yourself, mm-hmm. the Aerosmith version of Come Together is all right. It's all right. Yeah. Billy Preston's yeah. Get Back is not bad. Although the film, the scene in the film and... somewhat ruins it. <laughs> <laughs> but but yes, on, on an, in an audio yeah. format, it's not that bad. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, we can't put this 
below Mr. Blobby just because he's not a very good dancer. <laughs> that doesn't seem fair. <laughs> We've done two hours. I know, on this. mate. We really um, need to get cracking. Okay, I think this is worth. This has got to be worse than Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Like, I mean, Mister Blobby had a farm, and I mean, the organ quig thing. I can think because that is like a borderline nasty. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's mm. kind of using someone this is a 15 minutes of fame of something which isn't even real it's a fictional character it's meant for kids they're treating kids like idiots i mean kids are sort of idiots aren't it, now i'd probably do the same it, thing to be perfect, isn't it honest. worth taking a genuine piece of brilliance and shitting yeah. all over it and and also yeah. also just a, a thought that came to mind there you know it's difficult to know who this is aimed at but it's clearly aimed at a young audience to say the least Who's Sergeant Pepper's aimed at? Anyone who likes the Beatles. That's fucking anyone from ages fucking six months to 96, you know? Like, they're trying to aim that at everyone. At least this is, you know... Yeah, it's a cynical cat. I mean, fuck me. I'm I'm not exalting it and saying it's brilliant. It's in the flop 20, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. I'm not. I'm saying it's an awful record. Don't get me wrong. But just in terms of weighing those thing out, things up, I think Sergeant Pepper's commits more crimes than Mr. Bobby does, to be honest. Overall, okay. Well, I've I, I've I've put it in between Richard Ashcroft and Sergeant Pepper's because I don't even know anymore. <laughs> I don't even know. That's fair. That's fair. I have no idea what to think about the world. <laughs> it knocks Lincoln. It's knocked Lincoln Park out of the old flop twenty oh, though, which I think is yeah, a shame. Sorry about that. But um, but, well, it had to go in there fucking mm. somewhere, didn't it? Um, so there you go, Mister Blobby, in, insanely high. Mm. In my, how close? Like <laughs> you have put that and one up minute so far too close <laughs> to each other. There should be huge gap in between the two of them i'm gonna blame you for both of those things but i am picking another 40 places away what are you talking about oh you think that's right this is like one talking about mr blobby's album is 40 places away from one of my favorite albums of all time (laughs) well they will get they'll get a lot more places away from each other as as this goes on so don't worry you'll get what you need oh you have got to be fucking kidding me You have got to be kidding me. I cannot believe this. I cannot believe... How have we done these two back to back? This is mad. This is fucking mad. I can't cope, Renfrey. What is it? Crazy Hits. Oh, not the... By the fucking fucking crazy frog. frog. So we're going to do this again (sighs) next week. Keep those two apart. Oh, All right, well, we might as this well. Is a, this... We might as well have a themed fortnight or something. <laughs> Fuck it. This is a fucking disaster. I mean, that. It's not even got Tony Blackburn <laughs> on it. No. Oh, for fuck's sake. All right, good. What are the chances of that happening? What are the chances <laughs> of that happening? That's mad, isn't well, it? There's around <laughs> 200 albums in there. I mean, someone could work it out for us. Someone mathematical work that out for us, please. God, my... Oh, God. God. All right, anyway. Hold on, it's one in 200, isn't it? <laughs> That's one in, it's really simple. Well, there's less than 200 in there now. It's and about one in also, there are probably more than um, just Mr. Blobby and the Crazy Frog. There are a couple of other comedy, like, kids cashing stupid yeah. bollocks in there. So... You're talking about Rock and Roll Gangster by Fieldy's Dreams, I'm assuming. Yes, obviously, <laughs> definitely, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, we'll be back next week uh, talking about the Crazy Frog. And so, 
I, I don't know. Um, I don't know how I'm going to deal with that, to be perfectly honest. But anyway, look, I have to. It'll be fine. Someone's actually... I I, I tweeted about this fecking um, piece of shit. And someone's actually said, is this bad boy in the list? And they've put Crazy Frog... Look, look. He's actually put the fucking Crazy Frog... He's tweeting me a picture of the Crazy yes. Frog. Asking if it's in there. Oh, mate. It's in there. It's fucking in there. It's out of there now. And it's going to be in your fucking ears next week as well. <laughs> and in my ears. Uh, we'll see you next week. Um, blobby, blobby, blobby. And <laughs> oh god, come back next week for the crazy frog. What has this fucking podcast been reduced to? Embarrassing. Uh.